you're in a situation where many languages are spoken and different people constantly mixed together, you have to use the language that's most commonly used for communication between groups. But if you want to go deep, you may need to use another language that people identify with and use to think and communicate their deepest feelings with their closest friends. It's not simple. But I think you want to ask, if I only use language X, will that mark me as a perpetual outsider? Welcome to Language on Purpose with linguist, teacher, consultant, and veteran language learner, Mary Lynn Kinberg. We're privileged today to talk with a bona fide sociolinguist. Steve with SIL International recently co-edited a fascinating series of linguistic papers I've been reading. The volume of papers is called Language and Identity in a Multilingual and Migrating World. Steve will talk with us about his own experience in a multilingual setting in the Philippines and we get to pick his brain about important factors in choosing a language for communication in a multilingual panorama, both for local speakers as well as for language learners. Welcome, Steve. Well, thanks, Marilyn. I'm glad to be here for my very first ever podcast interview. Well, get used to the idea so I can invite you back. Steve, what ignorance or bias do we carry with us as global workers as we go forth into the world thinking of learning that one target language? Well, I don't want to call it ignorance, but maybe lack of awareness. I think that those of us from monochromatic, monolingual backgrounds don't realize that the majority of the people in this world operate in a multilingual world. And I'll just use that term for more than one language, multilingual. And that the natural state of affairs is to have a language repertoire, something like having a menu with a whole range of language varieties to choose from. I really like your word monochromatic in contrast to colorful. Tell us what your own multilingual setting was like in the Philippines. When we first went to the Philippines, I was assigned to do language survey in a multilingual community. These people spoke Agutainan, the language of the home and of the immediate community or the in-group. And then many of them spoke Kuyunan, which was the language of the neighboring people group. So that served as a language to communicate with outsiders. Did they speak any Tagalog as well? Oh, yeah. In those days, older adults didn't necessarily speak much Tagalog, but nowadays almost everybody does. Tagalog is the basis for the national language of the Philippines, and it truly has become a language of wider communication. And then most people knew a little English, too. So there were at least four languages that were relevant to the everyday life of many Agutainans. Each language that they spoke or used had its own function in their lives and in their role in the community. It's kind of embarrassing, actually, to recognize that we in our naivete coming from monolingual backgrounds may just say, oh, they speak different languages without asking what people hope to gain by speaking each of these languages. Can you elaborate on that? Well, we learn different languages in different contexts, right? 
with different people to perform different functions. Those of us who grow up only speaking English or whatever still learn to speak in different styles. We don't talk to our closest friends in confidence the same way we talk to the cashier in the supermarket or in the same way we deliver a speech or talk on a podcast, maybe. It's the same way in multilingual contexts, except instead of just adjusting our style, people are likely to use entirely different languages. Steve will be right back. Yes, I think we can talk about that motivation in terms of goals. What do people want to accomplish with this language? including a focus on identity. What do they want to accomplish by uh, saying who they are or what group they belong to by using particular languages? Can you drop us into that Philippine context? Yeah, so in the Agutainan context, speaking Agutainan puts you in the special close category of family and friends of the in-group. Speaking Agutainen is one of the primary markers of being Agutainen. Speaking Kuyunan, that doesn't say you're Kuyunan. That's part of what you do in order to communicate with your near neighbors who are not part of your in-group. So Kuyunans are definitely in that other category, but you still need to be able to interact with them, to buy and sell, to get around, to make things happen. We could call that an instrumental goal or motivation. So in speaking Kuyunan, you're exchanging roles, putting you as a merchant or a mediator, maybe? Sometimes that's exactly what you're doing. And sometimes you're just trying to get something done. It's a transactional sort of thing. It can be a friendly gesture, but it's also something you just have to do if you're Agutainen, because Kuyunans are the larger group, and they probably aren't going to learn Agutainen. So for any transactions with Kuyunan community, at least historically, you needed Kuyunan as that language of wider communication that you would use outside of your own in-group. And how about Tagalog? How, how would that be used? Well, that's where things have been changing in recent decades. Tagalog is now the preferred option for many Filipinos for communicating with, with outsiders. It's truly become a language of wider communication. So Kuyunans learn it as well. And nowadays you might find Agutainen speaking with Kuyunans using Tagalog. So speaking Tagalog conveys more of a larger national identity. You're also demonstrating you're a person who has some education uh, because Tagalog has come into the educational system in more recent generations. And how does English play into this? Well, English, of course, is also an official language in the Philippines, but it's also a global language. So when I speak English, I'm not just saying I'm well-educated and well-aware of the world. I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm part of the world. Uh, I'm a global citizen. So, so the languages that you speak are emblematic of the groups that you belong to. I think that's worth repeating, Steve. The languages that you speak are emblematic of the groups that you belong to. So multiple languages equal multiple identities, right? So could you address some other factors that come into play with the choice of language? 
Yeah, I think there are those two main kinds of motivations for choosing different languages. One, just for getting things done, what works. That's the instrumental motivation. And then two, for making a statement about who you are and how closely you identify with whoever you're talking with. You want to show that you're part of a certain group? Sociolinguists call this an integrative motivation. Of course, the two get mixed up, instrumental and integrative. Sociolinguists have also talked about unifying versus separatist functions of language and power and solidarity. The classic example for power and solidarity is that tu usted form in Spanish. Like in other Romance languages, you know, when you use the familiar form for you, you're reflecting either a certain closeness between you, or at least you don't have to show any special respect or deference to the other person. And then when you use that formal form for you, you're showing respect, or you're intentionally keeping some distance between you. So how you say something, the words you choose, the tone you choose, matters a great deal, right? The same thing plays out with the language that you choose. I remember um, in Spanish, in the context that I've been in in Latin America, that in some cases, the parents would switch to the more formal usted when they were really calling out their children on something. And so that that was like a power thing. It's like, you better do what I'm telling you to do. So you would think that it would be the informal because of the closeness of parent-child, but it really didn't play out like that in, in certain situations. They were pulling a power play. That gave it some gravitas. <laughs> exactly. Well, Steve, could you talk about a refugee situation since that's just exploding in today's world? Well, multilingualism is really important in that uh, refugee type setting. Language learning and the choice of languages is a huge issue for anybody who moves, right? And for those who are forcibly displaced, the stakes can be even higher. If you're a refugee hoping to be resettled in another country, the language of that country becomes really crucial to your future prosperity and adjustment. And it's not as simple as, I have this language that I've always spoken, and it's me, and this is who I will always be. You know, in a, in a refugee camp with many different groups, insisting on using your mother tongue, which identifies you with a certain ethnic group, can become a liability. It says, I'm part of this group and not part of you. And what if my group and your group have been traditional enemies? Refusing to speak a more neutral language of wider communication can be seen as separatist and can actually prolong enmity and division. While the effort to speak a common language says, okay, I want to be part of this new, broader community with you now. Before we switch over to the language learning side, could you touch on the choice of a language in a faith fellowship situation, since that's particularly relevant to us as global workers. Yeah, where there are mixed groups of people coming together for worship, they'll tend to have in common a language of wider communication. Some of my colleagues talk about having a language of fellowship and a language of discipleship. And I think that's a helpful way to look at it. You have to have this common language in order to have fellowship with a broader community. 
and holy writings might be read aloud in the broader group in that language. But sometimes that common language is just the lowest common denominator. If you're really dominant in a different language, and especially if you have the holy book in that language, it can really help discipleship to use that language that you can go deep in, the one you tend to use for thinking and reasoning, the one that feels most like who you really are. As we transition here to language learning, I want to make an if-then statement. If in a multilingual setting, we must observe the dynamic and attempt to answer the whys of language choice, if that's true, then we as language learners must also reflect on our own choices of what language or languages, plural, to communicate in and factors we must consider in targeting which language or languages we learn and be sensitized to the mistakes and offense we can potentially fall into unawares by that choice. Well, that was a pretty long if-then statement, but would you agree with that conclusion? Sure. If you're in a situation where many languages are spoken, and different people constantly mixed together, you have to use the language that's most commonly used for communication between groups. But if you wanna go deep, you may need to use another language that people identify with and use to think and communicate their deepest feelings with their closest friends. It's not simple. But I think you wanna ask, if I only use language X, will that mark me as a perpetual outsider? I was just talking with a coachee yesterday who is considering a move to Kenya. We were talking about whether she was going to concentrate on learning Swahili or Somalian. And she said, well, there's a woman there who has a ministry near the hospital. I observed how when she spoke Somalian, how they were very uncomfortable and didn't want to continue and they would switch over to Swahili. And so she's asking those questions, which do I learn? What do I communicate when I talk to them in Somalian or talk to them in Swahili? So those questions are super relevant. What was it like for you learning Agutainen. You know, it's very uncommon for any outsider to learn Agutainen, so that made me a real oddity. Like I said, Agutainen is a primary marker of being Agutainen. And so they were happy for me to learn their language, and, and they liked to make a big deal of it. And they came up with this special, playful term for me, Agukano. Agu stood for the Agutainen, and Kano stood for Americano. And you know, I love that. It, it said, yeah, he's different, but he's partly us too. Did you learn Kuyunan as well? Just enough to offer a friendly greeting and sometimes follow the gist of the conversation. So that was your focus to learn Agutainan, but they were multilingual. How did you get them to speak to you in Agutainan? 
was that even an issue or did they see you as someone with whom they would have to speak in Tagalog or in Kuyunan? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. Let me back up to when I was learning Tagalog. When I was in language school in Manila, during our first six months in the country, I would have to try to get people to speak Tagalog with me. And that wasn't easy because people knew English so well. It was easier for them to switch to English than labor with me in Tagalog. But in the village setting where we were learning Agutain, and people were not so accustomed to using English. And they really appreciated my efforts to speak Tagalog or Agutainan. And Agutainans were just generally happy to speak to me in Agutainan. Once I convinced them, I really wanted to learn it. I'm sure you used what we call in language learning a power tool, like I'm here to learn Agutainan. Oh, yeah. Galiliago Magadalta Agutainan. How many times have I said that one? Another language learning technique that worked very well for me was I would get people to tell me a story about what they'd done the weekend before, just anything they wanted to tell me about. And I'd record the story. Once they got into it, if I just paid attention and tried to look intelligent, they'd keep going and kind of forget that I couldn't understand everything. Then later on my own, I'd transcribe that story and try to figure out every detail I possibly could. That tension of people speaking to you in English when you want to learn the local language is so common and often hard to navigate. It makes it so easy to bail out and get stuck in just speaking English. But what does that say about you? So is is it maintaining your identity as a foreigner that I'm American and will always be an American? Is it communicating that I'm just too lazy to learn your language? You might just think that this is the easiest route to communicate, to just use English. But again, what is that saying about you? Let's explore that a bit more since it's something that is really common. What we don't want to do is make people think that we think they can't handle English. That can be offensive. I struggled with that dynamic in Manila especially when I tried to use Tagalog with highly educated or well-traveled people. They were probably thinking, who is this guy anyway, thinking I can't speak English? It certainly is a dilemma for learners. I sometimes tell the language learners I coach to learn this handy power tool phrase. Your English is really good, but I want to learn your language. Would you help me? It worked, but Back to your situation with the Agutainen, what would that have said about you if you had chosen to only speak in Tagalog? Would that have said that your language wasn't important, hence they weren't important? Let's just say I don't think I would ever have achieved the coveted status of Agutano. You said that speaking Agutainen meant that you were an insider. Did you ever feel a resistance that they didn't want you to be an insider who knew their language? You know, there's a lot of difference among cultures and what people want to share and what they want to keep private. But for Agutainans, no, I think they were delighted by my attempts to learn their language and, and especially liked it when I used it with them in front of non-Agutainans. <laughs> I was a constant source of entertainment. Okay, last topic here. 
We talk all the time in language learning about learning the heart language. We want to target the heart language. In a multi-language context, we do tend to think of one language as being the language of the heart, the one that really, truly expresses who you are, the one that you can communicate the best in. But what we're finding is that in places where people grow up speaking multiple languages from the start, it's not always so clear cut. One of my colleagues from Kenya says, honestly, I never hear the phrase heart language except among my Bible translation colleagues. I don't have a heart language. I have heart languages. They're all part of me. They're all part of who I am. And that's because this colleague grew up in a very multilingual environment, and he's spoken different languages all his life. He speaks a cluster of related tribal languages, along with languages of wider communication that serve him well, and he uses well for learning new things and forming relationships with a wide range of people. So he says they're all his heart languages. Steve, we're about to close here, but we can't let you go just yet. You told me in our initial conversation that you had a really good super duper language blooper, but you didn't tell me what it was. So I'm dying to hear it. My wife and I were in our early months of language learning in a remote part of the island of Palawan. American Thanksgiving was coming up on the calendar and I was determined to have the closest thing to turkey that I could find. So that meant chicken. I asked around to see who had chickens for sale. You couldn't count on them being in the market in the town on any given day, dead or alive. And I'd learned how to kill a chicken in training camp anyway. So I was prepared to go out and buy the real living thing. Everybody told me, Nyella has a lot of chickens. Ask her to sell you one. I'm changing the name here to protect the innocent. I pulled up on my motorcycle outside this little grandmother's house. And she came, she was in the front yard sweeping. And I said to her in my most polite Ahutain and what came out as, they say you are a bunch of chickens here. And she responded, who said? And I said, oh, everybody. And would you believe she never would sell me a chicken? So much for your pronouns, Steve. <laughs> I went back home and I got out my little grammar book, <laughs> my grammar notes, and I realized it's a different set in Agutainen than in Tagalog. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show, Steve. Thanks for letting me tell you my blooper. Oh, gosh. Thank you. You can dig deeper into this topic by downloading for a donation the series of papers I mentioned earlier, Language and Identity in a Multilingual Migrating World, by going to leanpub.com, L-E-A-N-P-U-B.com. Yeah, if you want it in electronic format, download it now on LeanPub. If you want a real book you can hold in your hands, it's in press as we speak, and you should be able to find it soon on Amazon. I'm Mary Lynn Kinberg, and this is Language on Purpose. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify, or, of course, at our webpage, languageonpurpose.org. Subscribe, and you won't miss an episode. Keep at it, guys. See you next time.